0: Really since kind of the YouTube channel picked up a little bit, mm-hmm. a few people have decided they wanted to talk to me and have found that I'm much less
1: interesting in real life than you. <laughs> I don't know about interesting, but I find you hilarious. Um and, and to me that's more important than interesting. Welcome to the Make Music Income Podcast, where we talk about the constantly changing world of music income, including music licensing, music distribution and marketing, music royalties, being a music artist or composer, music teaching, sheet music, church music, which we're going to talk about in this interview some. Really any way that we can find to make music income. That's what we talk about on this podcast. My name is Eric Copeland and I have been working full time for over 30 years, primarily as a music composer, arranger, and producer. This show today is sponsored by MakeMusicIncome.com, where you can find all of our free and paid eBooks courses and one-on-one coaching. So check out the description for more information. I hope this podcast and all my channels and sites help you make the music you love and make music income. Today's interview with Jameson Nathan Jones and this is the uncut version I really cut this down for the YouTube channel but if you are catching this on the podcast you are getting the uncut version. Warts and all. All the us and all the... I didn't cut anything out and I cut out a lot for the video. So you guys who are listening to this podcast are getting the uncut version of the podcast here. So enjoy this interview. Nathan does so many different things and has so much experience and so much unique just background and I just what I love about the guests on my channel and on my podcast and I think you're going to enjoy this today. Enjoy this interview with Jameson Nathan Jones. I'm happy to be here with Jameson Nathan Jones. You know his channel, you know his work and his compositions and all the crazy and wild things he does. We're going to talk about all of that today and in several different types of, uh, of ways, but the first thing I want to talk about is what something I call the income variance, and uh, I see you as someone who, probably like me, has to deal with a lot of music incomes, and it's really the first question I always ask everybody, how do you make music income?
0: Well, it has evolved, as you can imagine, over the years. Um I was actually thinking about it the other day, and I've been incredibly blessed um, in that I have never had a job that wasn't music related in some way. Wow. Now, that's a little different because I came from the classical world. So, mm-hmm. you know, inherent to that was uh, being a pianist first, um, a lot of accompanying gigs and things like that. So it, it was a lot of work, um, but I've always been able to do something music related. Um, and of course, I started piano at like eight years old, so it's been like a life, a lifetime thing. Um, and then also, as I started studying organ at around uh, fifteen, um, church work became a big part of what I do, and that's still my full time gig. I'm still a, a church organist, director of music, direct the choir. We're going to talk uh, about that. As well. Yeah, yeah. So I would say that that has been the longest through line of income for me is that more traditional background like you know in the real world <laughs> of doing mm-hmm. stuff you know playing well. uh, for people um, and then recently in the last uh, i don't know coming up on 8 years now i decided i wanted to start releasing my own music and that kind of opened up this kind of world where you and I both inhabit now—that yeah. uh, is kind of a strange new world uh, yeah. still for me. Um, of trying to get my music heard, and and I've had I've had some success. You know, I'm not uh, a worldwide name or anything, but I've had some success in streaming and things like that in the past, um, yeah. which took me from you know making zero dollars in that world for a long time to all of a sudden making a few hundred each month. You know, from streaming and, and Bandcamp yeah. and all of those things.
1: So Bandcamp, who's your distributor?
0: Uh, distributor, I, I was doing it all myself. Uh, so early on it was DistroKid. Um, yeah. And then I switched to Symphonic uh, a couple years ago.
1: Explain the switch to Symphonic. That's interesting. Uh,
0: they're a smaller company. They're a bit more mm-hmm. selective in who they take on. And I, I like the fact that I can get in touch with them if I need to. Kid is kind of, there are so many people that use that platform and it's great to get started and it's and affordable and fast. Yeah, um, But, but like if you ever have a, if you ever have a problem, fast. it's hard to, yeah, if you ever have a problem, it's kind of hard to actually get anyone's attention at DistroKid, just I guess the sheer volume that they deal with. So it feels a bit more personal at, at Symphonic and, and the people that operated are musicians too. So they kind of, they understand, you know.
1: So, yeah, yeah he just I, I've contacted, been, contacted me. I did a I did a little symphonic video recently, um, well in the past year sometime, and uh, I thought it was nice. I, I wasn't crazy about the interface. I remember that was my only thing. But other than that, it was very fast. And um, here's a question for you: Being a classical music composer and putting classical music out, I take it, can um, uh, is symphonic good for you? Would think with a name like symphonic, they would be good at getting classical music out and into. The dreaded Apple and Apple's ecosystem, which I know has, tr- has is sometimes troublesome getting classical music out.
0: Yeah, and that is something that I've run into. And I also, my own solo work is it tends to lean a bit more electronic as well. So like more in the electronic ambient. Like there are flavors of that, that's and right. we'll talk about that a little later. Like yep. my music, it doesn't exactly fit into any of the categories very well. Mm-hmm. So I, that's been something I've had to kind of overcome or attempt to. Um, But yeah, the more like I I just released a piano waltz was the last thing that I put out. And, uh, you know, it did pretty well, pretty well, excuse me. Um, But you Mm. have to kind of set your expectations when you do something like that, that the reach is not going to be quite the same as like a felt piano, peaceful piano thing. You know, those just have more places to go
1: all right staying on the distribution side for a minute because I have a whole, I'm, I'm interested in this because I, whole, I have a whole video coming out in a few weeks about my experience putting a classical um, a mu- 25 song classical you know sonatas and stuff from Beethoven and Mozart yeah. and stuff out through CD baby because distro Kid says we just can't get your stuff to Apple if it's cl- if you market yeah. classical, and so. Yeah. But I did it through CD Baby, which I think can, and and so. And plus, I want it to be an Apple classical, Apple Music classical. You know that new app yeah. they just put out. So I'm trying oh, yeah. yeah. and I was just experimenting with it because I do classical as well, and I want. And I'm putting more and more out all the time. I have another one coming out Friday, a four p- four movement piece. But I, I'm experimenting with. You know, how do I get it to Apple and Apple Classical if they don't want to accept it from DistroKid? And and as is Symphonic good at getting you into your into the classical classifications on Apple?
0: Well, that that piano piece that I just put out is is everywhere it needs to be. I feel like I don't know yeah. about the specific Apple Classical thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I would have to check into that. I haven't, to be totally honest, I'm not I'm not as focused on the streaming side as I was. Since the YouTube channel and everything is kind mm-hmm. of taken off a bit yeah. more, because I don't feel like I have to be, right. if that makes sense. You don't so feel that like your was kind of artist
1: side has to has to uh, support you, basically. Is what you're saying.
0: Well, yeah, there's that, and also, and we'll—I don't want to get too far off track of, of your question, but but the way I've approached the YouTube channel has allowed me to kind of keep the focus on my music, so I don't yeah. feel like I need playlist placements gotcha. to get my music
1: out there. There are other vehicles, you know. So. it's probably a good thing because they're very, very hard to get now. And I think the they whole, are. um, Spotify for artists thing is less about getting on a playlist, most likely, and more about getting on release radar, probably yes. if you want to get into the weeds with Spotify there. Yep, totally. Um, so, uh, all right. So you've made income as your, your main income is still at the church as the organist of a church, right? Yes. Is this a big church?
0: Um it's a pretty good size like the, are we talking building or people that go there?
1: Yeah, I guess <laughs> building <is> pretty good. <laughs>
0: um uh, the the attendant ship uh never quite came back after covid, you know, yeah. as, as I think is the case for everyone. So um but yeah, it's 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 a good size organ. Uh it's one that I've used in, in several recordings and stuff. I try to use it in, in kind of experimental and creative ways in my own music. Um
1: full pipe organ or is it Yeah. A- yeah.
0: A- Full pipe organ, four manual, about five thousand pipes, somewhere around there, wow. tucked away, all enclosed in the walls. Which we, I won't nerd out too much about the organ side, but it's fully expressive. So, yeah, it's. We'll get really back nice. to that.
1: Um, so, besides that, you've got your channel. Would that be your second and in, biggest income at these days, as, it, as it's growing?
0: Well, <laughs> it actually last year was the biggest. Mm. Um, yeah, towards Congrats. the end of the year. Because I uh, sort of transitioned to more educational stuff. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: And off the back of that, I was able to build out a couple of courses. Uh, One in particular is kind of about composition and my philosophies on composition. And that that course alone um, out-earned my church income, which was kind of mind-blowing to me and kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities. So, that's why... A lot more of my energy is going into the channel these days than, <laughs> right. uh, than, than other things. But, uh, you know, it's important to me, though, as we just mentioned, to keep the focus on my music. Like, I don't want to just start making whatever I think is going to work well right. for YouTube. Right. I want to keep, keep it focused so that it's always centered around, like, the stuff right. that I
1: want to be making. Hold on a second. Go. Okay. I got a cat that always waits till I'm making videos to attack my feet and everything. Yeah. (sighs) Sorry. Um. (laughs) So. Uh. All right. Uh. So okay. So the church income and your channel income. Do any other incomes besides we've talked about? You know anything you might make from? Royalties of any kind, including sales and things like that. Any other music incomes that we should talk about?
0: Yeah, there's a little bit of licensing in there of just, um, you know, like with the art list stuff, um, which I'm currently trying to figure out what to do with my catalog. um,
1: That also is something we'll talk about in a little while.
0: Yeah, and, and that that would be a good thing to talk about because I'm kind of in a in limbo of like, what should I do with all this sure. stuff, you know? So let's yeah.
1: let's find out. All right, so uh, very good, and uh, we'll talk about the future later as well. So let's let's move into your music background. When did you start playing music? When did this start? Started piano at eight,
0: um, and of course I was playing around, you know when I would pass by a piano, I would, you know, tinker on it and stuff like that. So I was yeah. showing interest before then. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to play, I remember there's incriminating uh, video <laughs> evidence somewhere of me playing roundabout, or playing along with on the piano, as my dad's was playing roundabout on, yeah, the, you know, by yes. the record player. Yep, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's floating around out there. It will never <laughs> see the internet, I hope. But um, So yeah, I was very interested. Both my parents are musicians. Um, My dad was a high school choir director and has always done church music and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And my mom went to, um, has a a degree as well in uh, choral conducting music education. So um, yeah, I was kind of, I didn't have a chance really that's what I'm trying to say. Did you
1: understand. always just know it was your thing? That was just going to be probably. I mean, when I, I'm saying grow up in a music family where mm-hmm. music is just what you kind of do, and so uh, did you just always know that likely music would be your thing? Probably, I mean, yeah, I, I think I had
0: a pretty good feeling early on um, because I had a natural sort of inclination to it, and was therefore had the benefit that not everyone has of my parents being very supportive of it and encouraging it. Um, So I I fully recognize that not everyone has that experience, Mm -hmm. and it was very important. But, uh, yeah, so I guess the the positive feedback and kind of gratification that I got from it early on kind of uh, hastened me along in that direction. Um, And then when I started taking piano lessons, it was clear pretty early that I had sort of a natural affinity for it so I kind of from that point it it never seemed like I would do anything else you know um,
1: yeah right so, yeah. there's a time that you realize this is the thing that either I do better than everyone else or as good as anyone else and yeah. is my passion and yeah I think that happens for some reason that seems to happen right around 13 14 it seems like you when you're getting into middle school and you realize I'm never gonna play football or basketball like other people do or I'm or as a guy at least um, or or girl I guess but you know there are things that you could do science and all this other stuff and you realize oh, you know what I'm gonna be a music person that's just what I that's what's always floating around in here it's what I want to go yep. home and do when I'm done with school yeah and you know so yeah I think that always happens. All right, so let's talk about education. Uh, you talked about starting piano lessons when you were eight. Uh, I also did; I just didn't stay with them. My mother was a piano mm-hmm. teacher, and so she tried to teach me. That didn't take because um, I was just too interested in what I was hearing versus what I wanted. What she wanted me to read, if that makes sense. How did you? Yeah. How did you accept the reading? Because that's what it takes to take piano lessons successfully as a kid. I think.
0: Yeah. Well, that's and that's an interesting thing that that I get asked quite a bit. Is a lot of people say, "Well, I started piano, but I hated all of the music that I, that I was being taught." You know, that's and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, I don't know if I was just. I think I probably was having success at it, and I I didn't. I wanted to like I'm a I'm a naturally a non-confrontational person, um, and I think I just wanted to do what my teachers thought was best for me, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Especially as a kid, like I've gotten much better about standing up for myself uh, <laughs> as an adult. Fortunately, uh, you kind of have to. Um, but as a kid, I think I was very much well. Obviously, they know better than I do, so mm-hmm. you know I'm just going to go along with whatever they say. And you know, as you if you can can now there was a point I should say where things got difficult. It was probably around that age you're talking about of like, you know, 1314 when you're getting into the upper, maybe early advanced stages, you know, of the repertoire. And it was like, Oh, I have to practice more now, I thought I wouldn't have to practice as much the better I got, but it's actually the opposite. <laughs> right. And, and I don't like practicing, it's kind of hard work. Uh And I'm, you know, 14 and want to do other stuff, play video games. Um <laughs> So I there was a resistance there that I had to kind of push through, and I wanted to quit, and my parents were like, "We'll just stick it out through this amount of time." you know, mm-hmm. and of course, by pushing me along a little bit, I got through that uh, sort of obstacle. And uh at some point, I started to realize that, you know, even if I hadn't realized it at the time, um all of those things that I was learning, in, in learning that repertoire that they wanted me to learn, like it built so much technique and so much ability um, that it's like, oh, there's a reason why they teach this stuff. It's not just because everyone else had to learn it. Maybe for some teachers, they approach it that way because I had to learn it, you have to learn it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. At, at its core, it's like that, that rep will really teach you a lot and it will develop your technique in a way that maybe just doing whatever you want doesn't, you know, because we don't mm-hmm. want to do hard stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so there is a certain amount of pushing through that, that I think is really beneficial if you can get to the other side of it and, and kind I of see things from the bigger picture.
1: This goes for me for any age, uh, people who mm-hmm. are watching this who are in their thirties, forties, fifties, there is no time when you have to say, well, I'm too old for piano lessons now. Or I'm yeah. too old to start, learn, uh, to go back and finish my bachelor's or finish my master's. I finished my master's three years ago. <laughs> That's know? awesome. That's and awesome. so uh, it, it, you can, and I, especially I think, I have a rule, actually, I think that should be put into place. And that is no male, uh, except in uh, except in extreme circumstances, should be allowed to go to college until they are 30 years old. Because Mm. I, I think most guys who go to school, who go to college, uh, end up uh, dropping out or just not taking it seriously and or getting a degree because their parents are paying for it or or just – or because financial aid is and ended up with a philosophy degree or something. And because everybody else is going to college, it's not like high school. You got to go to high school. But um, <laughs> I just feel like guys in particular are always not ready for, for uh, college. So did you come right out of school and go right into college?
0: Yeah. I went – a year early actually I was homeschooled all the way through mm-hmm. um which maybe that's another discussion that we could have taught me a lot of things too um that have helped me but yeah I was homeschooled all the way through so I finished early a year early and my high school piano teacher really wanted me to go ahead and kind of go to the next level because she felt like I'm not sure this was the case but she felt like she had taught me <laughs> everything she could right and uh so I did that, and it was a good experience. And so, and I went straight through uh, and got my master's.
1: Where did you go through. to for your bachelor's?
0: Uh, University of Southern Mississippi. Okay. Famous home of Brett Favre.
1: All right. Which we that's try right. not to
0: talk about too much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and where? Uh, where did you go for a masters? Same, same place. Same. Okay.
0: I I nearly went to Alabama because they had one of the only organ, really big oh. organ programs at the time. Yeah. But I ended up staying around because um, my composition teacher was at USM. And uh, it was, we can, that's another discussion. But we, yeah, but did the he,
1: composition, did the, did the school have a composition master's or was just a general? No.
0: He was there as composer in residence. And he taught a few things. He was semi-retired by the time I got there. Mm-hmm. But he took me on as a kind of a private student. So mm-hmm. I, it was just an elective for me all the way through. But probably the single most important experience musically that I've ever had was being able to study with him during that time. Really shaped like my philosophies and, and a lot of the things that I still talk about and have built the YouTube channel on to
1: this day. I literally have a second channel called Hello Composers, because that's what my composing teacher used to open class with every time he would have class. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I saw him a year or so ago, and I said, um, I tried to talk him into a podcast with me because uh, you know I said I've st- I've already stolen your your tagline, so mm-hmm. uh, you know you mm-hmm. might as well jump on in. He's like I, I don't have the time, but uh, yeah, I I will never. I'm I am so different and changed by the four years of study I had with this guy, and uh, and um, man, it, I can't. You know we don't talk about education enough on this channel, maybe because it's uh, it's about making music income and that's. <laughs> That's spending music income. Yeah. But yeah. that's music outgo. But um, I I just think that people are – people um, – they, they downplay education because they think, eh, I don't want to – who cares about Beethoven? I want to write whatever I want to write. Or, or uh, yeah. who cares about classical music? It's not a very popular genre. And I want to make my hip-hop beats and all this kind of stuff, which is fine. But I think um, I never – when I was – 18, 19, 20, I could have cared less about Mozart. I didn't know the difference between Mozart and Beethoven and didn't for a long time in my life mm-hmm. as far as the, their sound. You know, everybody just thinks yeah. classical music, classical. Now, Haydn and Mozart still sound similar to me. I, I have a hard yeah. time sometimes with those two. That's but, pretty close. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I had no interest in any of that stuff. I had no interest in theory. I had no interest. I took music theory for. I took music theory for non-music majors. That was a class I took, <laughs> and uh, I and I kind of dabbled in music. But I was writing songs. I was going to get a, a, a you know a publishing deal, mm-hmm. uh, which by the way I didn't get a publishing deal until I got into music licensing about three or four years ago, and then I got <laughs> my first publishing deal. Yeah. So uh, speaking of that, what was your plan coming out of college? You had a you had a bachelor's and a master's and probably in your mind through the whole time you're going to college for music and studying music there, you had an idea of what you're going to do for income. What was that? What was the plan? Well,
0: I um <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question Cuz I told my because... wife when
1: I was doing my master's it would be to teach and now I'm teaching. I'm like, hmm. maybe I just would rather compose and
0: that's and that's the funny thing both of my degrees are are performance degrees because I didn't really want to teach yeah I thought maybe well maybe you know if I go on and get my doctorate I'll teach at the college level at some point because all I saw and all that I really knew that existed was just the path that all my professors had taken so it's like you go and you get the degrees and then you teach other people how to get their degrees you exactly. Know? Um, and i I always knew I didn't really want to do that. Like yeah. it felt like that just wasn't what I was supposed to do.
1: Um, and do you think that's why a lot of people start to go to college and then they just think that's the only I, I mean, I call it its own little bubble, you know, uh, oh the yeah. education, the yeah. whole world of college. It's a bubble that's and and people who live inside, especially students uh, who are in college programs right now, it doesn't matter which kind of college program. They are in that bubble and they're not thinking about the real world. And I'm always trying to say, well, What are you going to do when you got here? When you got here, you got to do this and you got to work with clients and you got to do this and you got to figure out a way to make yep. income. And they're all just like, But I remember one time I was in a theory class and he was teaching Roman numerals, you know, like they do in music theory for the first few things. And then he said, We're going to also write. What do you call them? Commercial chords. He called them. We're going to write commercial chords above here. It's so like A and uh, you know D minor and then and, and some girl raised her hand. She goes, Why would we ever need to know that? And uh, <laughs> and that's all I knew. I didn't know it. I didn't yeah. know or care about Roman numerals. You know why? Because I'd never seen it in the studio world or in the real world. In my entire yeah. career of being a mm-hmm. 20-year producer in Nashville, I'd never seen Roman numerals before. I mean, I, I'd heard of them back in the day, but they don't exist outside that, really, unless right. you're talking about continuo or something like that. But yeah. otherwise, you don't see them that much.
0: Well, and they're actually far less useful, yeah. <laughs> you know, in a broader <laughs> application um, than than just having the, the letter name, uh, yeah. you know which you could apply to non-functional harmony as well. But anyway. Same with
1: Nashville numbers. It's useful up to a point, you know, and then it's not useful. you got to write the letters down. So uh, you decided to go into performance. How did that work out? Well,
0: um, so basically all that I knew was that I didn't want to teach like high school or or anything like that. If I did any teaching, it would be like higher ed, I thought. And then at some point, probably – well, I think it was probably after I started studying composition, I was like, oh, this, this, I think is the thing. Because I always kind of viewed composers as like mythical beings, you know, it's like, how did they, it's like performance is fine, you know, but I feel like anyone with the, the talent and the the work ethic to see that talent through and develop those skills could, could kind of do that. It's like a composer, like I had like this holy grail, you know, had them <laughs> up on the pedestal. Um, so I was always interested in, in, composition and then with him kind of giving me the focus that I needed of, uh, showing me the power of limitations and things like that, that I actually, yeah. that I talk about on the channel all yeah, the time. You
1: do. Um, and it's true
0: that, that really focused things. And I was like, okay, I, we may be onto something here. And at, from there, I, you know, I was also, uh, kind of interested in, in electronics and things like that. Didn't know a lot about it at the time. And it was all looked down upon in the classical world, so I didn't explore it too much while I was in school. But I kind of wanted to get into film scoring. And I was like, well, how does one make music in a DAW? First of all, what's a DAW? Um, Because I was writing everything, like everything that I wrote up until that point was like, to be performed it was art art music you know with a capital yeah, but a. you're
1: using finale or something at that point probably
0: yeah well uh, i actually wrote everything by hand and then would yeah. would put it into Sibelius you Sibelius, know or finale yeah. um so yeah it was all like for for chamber groups at at the school that i went to or for myself to play you know things like that or choirs I, I sang in in the the choirs uh as i was coming through as well so Yeah, and that that experience of writing for all of those things really helped me be able to write in a way that was not dependent upon the sounds I was using. If that makes sense, Mm -hmm. like a lot of electronic music is, uh, it's all kind of all texture. Um, But also, like I I knew that I wanted, like that was fascinating to me. the, The sound design aspects and the the texture. I would listen to things. And be like, how are they doing this? I, I had no idea, you know. So it seemed like the people who were doing that the most, like marrying those two worlds, were, were film composers. Gotcha. I just didn't know about all of the the solo artists because I wasn't in that world who were also doing interesting things at the time.
1: Cool. So that was kind
0: of my plan. I was ready to move to LA. Um, and I was like, Well, I have this organ the, these organ skills too, which you you have a bit more possibilities of getting jobs Mm -hmm. you know steady jobs because you can work you do the church work thing um as an organist uh we're a little less common than pianist so um so that was kind of my backup and i was like well i'll do that until you know i don't know what i thought was going to happen i would move to la (laughs) someone would discover me in a coffee shop of course even though i didn't drink coffee as we talked about (laughs) 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 and uh it would just you know go go on from there but um yeah, obviously, didn't quite work out that way, but I did. That did kind of put me on the path of like, okay, how do you make music in a computer, and how can I kind of apply the stuff I already know to this kind of new world of of synthesis and sound design and the electronic stuff.
1: Before we leave uh, education, um, you had talked about the possibility of getting a doctorate, and as as some people may or may not know, you really can't teach at a four year school. At a ma- especially a major four year school, um, as a like ten year professor, unless you have a doctorate, it's really Correct. hard. Yeah. Unless you have some incredible like <coughs> background that you you know, I I know a guy who is literally currently on Michael McDonald's in Michael McDonald's band, and you know he. I don't think he has a master's degree. I'm not even sure he finished his bachelor's, but he gets teaching jobs all the time because of all his background in music, and mm-hmm. he's he's just ungodly talented and and known but um, the rest of us who think okay I want to get a job teaching and I did when I and so when I got my master's I actually went I was about to get my master's in musicology which if people don't know is the study of music history and Mm -hmm. because I'm a music history nerd and uh, I just decided at that time I was getting into licensing and I was rediscovering my compositional uh, world and wanting to get back to being a composer. And long story short, everybody knows I've, I've finished my master's in composition, which was great fun. But I, I stopped. I, I think at that point I was like, okay, I'm in my 50s. I'm done with taking school. This is my fifth college, four of which were like Division I schools, Kentucky, Illinois. Middle Tennessee and, and Central Florida. So I think I've done enough college and it's time to get to work. And my wife is like, yeah, it's probably – why don't we make money and stuff, spend money? Because I have ha- I also had a uh, – and still have a production business and clients and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. still going on, even though I'm, I am teaching now a little. But uh, the doctorate thing still – it hangs in front of me like this little, you know – if you got that doctorate, first of all, you'd get to compose more, and somebody would make you compose something, and you love composing, so <laughs> you could compose some great grand piece that which I did. And I'm I'm getting all those out. As a matter of fact, one is debuting on streaming on Friday. It's a four movement piece, and I'm finally getting it out, and I put it up to arrange me yesterday, and it's all, all it's it's out there and going to be in sheet music nice. and all that, which is. Income, by the way, and mm-hmm. uh, well, I'll, I meant to ask you about that. I'll ask you that at some point here in a second. But um, what are your thoughts about master's, doctorate, and that that thing for those of the for the few people watching this who might be thinking about that kind of thing? Well,
0: um, first off, I do not regret one second that I spent earning those degrees. Same. Um, however in terms of it directly impacting what I do now in terms of the credential itself, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like it it has no bearing on what I do now. Um, Other than the experiences that I gained while earning those degrees, you know, which was very
1: important. So unless you decided you had this Jones to go teach at a, four-year school and become a professor an organist uh chief uh, in residence at a college or something like that then it would
0: yeah totally and then it then it it does matter Mm -hmm. but just in terms of what i'm doing right now and focusing on a youtube channel and an independent artist side Mm -hmm. um you know obviously anybody can do that right sure and and lots of people do that have no uh music background at all even right and no formal education at all and that's that's fine Um, but so what I, what I tell people, because I get this question a lot from people, maybe younger people who are, you know, just finishing high school and wondering what to do, like they're interested in music. So they ask like, well, do I really need, you know, to go to college or go to music school? And it's of course a case by case basis. And it depends a lot on whether or not you have to go into debt to do it, which Mm -hmm. I don't think is a great idea. Um, but what I tell them is, um, the piece of paper itself is, is not as important as the experiences that you can gain. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's a little hard for me to just say, you know, I didn't need to go to college at all. I can't say that because it has definitely informed everything I've done since. And I have no doubt that kind of the weird, uh, blue ocean, if you want to call it, uh, that has helped my YouTube channel grow is the combination of that more traditional formal background with trying to explore some of these newer areas. And you just never know how, how your unique combination of experiences will, will form. (laughs) Like we have no idea what our final form will be. Right. Right. Um, because for example, Even with the YouTube channel, I really thought last year when I started making videos about that very topic, that what I would be doing is helping um, other classical composers and people who are classically trained get into electronic music,
1: You thought you'd be doing one thing. And
0: and what happened was actually the opposite (laughs) happened. It's like a lot of electronic people who had no music background, really, they had just started experimenting in a DAW with electronic Mm -hmm. music. They were like, oh, well, you actually just put things that I thought were really complex in a way that I could understand it, you know, and and was seemed useful, you know, and not unobtainable. Like, like, I think the colleges like to pretend to be like, you know, there's a certain status that they they like to present and and barrier uh, that they like to keep up. But it's like, well, no, there are just certain concepts that just work, and so it's ended up kind of the inverse of what I thought has ended up being my bigger audience. So you just never know um, what's going to happen. You just learn as much as you can, and if if college and degrees are a part of that, that you can that you can do um, without putting yourself in such a financial hole, because I do think that's an important thing yeah. to say. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it's all, it's near criminal, <laughs> kind of what happens with student loans in this country
1: yeah.
0: in particular. Um,
1: and I would also I think, say that if you are, it, you are – it's never too late to do that in your life. In other words, you're yeah. not forced – no one's putting a gun to your head to go to college only from 18 to 22 years old. There's lots of times in your life that might be better for you to go because you might be more serious about it when you do go – Uh, At that time versus going Mm. when you're 18 or 19 and all you want to do is party or you want to just play in bands or whatever it is. And you're like, I just don't know if I have any interest in that. I didn't have any interest in it. I went because my parents were paying for it and they wanted me to go and I was going to their alma mater and it was in my hometown. It was easy But I didn't necessarily have a hunger for it. I just went. And it was like high school. It was just extended high school. And if it's like that for you, then don't go. Go yeah. when you are hungry You can pay for it yourself You can go part-time And mm-hmm. and, and go to school you, There's lots of other kinds of degrees You can get besides a, a four-year There's two-year things There's a, where I teach Is a, like a technical school It's kind of like a mini Full-sale type of school Not as mm-hmm. expensive And you know you can get training In a lot of ways You can get training from you You can get training from me You can get training from you yeah. know, YouTube now So there's a lot yep. of different ways To learn Not just a four-year school But if you are going to do That whole thing and you see the importance and you just decide, I do care about how history was made in music, and I want to know all mm-hmm. of that stuff. I got tired yeah. of not knowing. I got tired of people at my jobs that I worked at knowing more about music than I did, and I was mm-hmm. in music, and they were just casual music fans. And he was like, I think right. that I think Mozart made that in about 1788. Uh, uh, I think that was one of his... Uh, and I'm like, how do you know that? And why do you know that? And why don't I know that? And mm-hmm. a lot of people don't care about that. Who cares? But I, did, I just started feeling like... I don't know the theory things I should know. I don't know the history things I don't know. I don't know compositionally things I should know. And so, if you feel that way, then then and you just have a desire, burning desire to get knowledge, then go. If you don't, then there's other lots of other music experiences you can do in your life as a musician and different things that you can learn that are different than college. It's more experiment yeah. experiential type of things.
0: Yeah, that very well said. And you're a prime example of um, exactly sometimes it's I beneficial do. to take a step back and figure out what you actually want before you just dive in. And that's why I caution against, you know, kids, essentially. I'm old enough now I can call 18-year-olds kids. That's kind of <laughs> scary. Um, but, you know, kids who are going into the red and they're not even sure, like, why?
1: Yeah.
0: That's that's a shame. Um, yeah. And, and I think we need more people like you that that are examples and telling people that it's okay to to pump the brakes yeah. and just experiment with things for a while if you don't really know going in. That's a great great advice. I
1: believe in college. I believe in higher learning mm. and more learning. I believe in learning all yeah. your life. I'm not done. I'm not done yeah. learning. I, I'm. I, I don't know if I'll go back to organized like school things like that, but I'm going to be doing some more study and different things like that. So. I, I always am interested in learning, and so that's why I watch so much freaking YouTube is because yeah. there's a lot of good knowledge out there, and so I watch a lot. And uh, All right, so that's good. I think that's a good stop right there. Now I want to segue. So you get out of school, and you say, hmm, there's this job at a church. I, I guess it, it did that land right as you got out of school? I want to talk about—because one thing I want to talk about here is— a lot of people think about, I mean, these we're talking about two things that many people watching our channels never do. They never went to college, and they never deal with church or music in church or know that mm-hmm. there is money to be made by working at church uh, as, yeah. a, as a music uh, director or an organist or a pianist or whatever. And uh, I'm going to get into a little bit more of that on my channel um, in March, especially Um, I have another interview with, um, you might know um, Shane. um, I can't think of Shane's name right now. Shane Jensen. You may know Shane Jensen. Uh, I don't know if he's on on your list or not, but Shane is uh, one of the guys who hangs out a lot in... Uh, our our worlds. Uh, when I say our, I mean me and Dave Croft and DVB <laughs> mm-hmm. and all the all the YouTube guys. And and we have a lot of dealings with Shane. And Shane is a music director at a church in Las Vegas area. And so uh, we we have an interview coming up. And I just don't think that enough people. It's it's something that's not talked about as a music income, when it's certainly a viable income, as viable as being a college professor or a high school music teacher or whatever, and certainly honorable. So I'm calling this section The Church Music Confluence, but I'm also calling it How You Met My Mother or Nathan, My Mom and the Church Organist, because uh, my mother was the organist at our church from before I was born until about, um, well, and... For about forty plus years, she was the church organist at our big Baptist church in Lexington, Kentucky, where I'm from. So I've been at church every day since you know when when mm-hmm. I was a kid because she was the church organist and and that was what our family did. We just went to church because we had to because she was going right. and uh, and we lived there and she was paid for forty years as the church organist. So mm-hmm. It wasn't her main income, but it was a continual. Something she could count on, and uh, she was a traditionally trained player. Um, what was your path into being a church organist?
0: Well, kind of similar. I grew up in church, um, and my dad was always the director, you know, because, you know, both my parents were musicians, as I mentioned earlier, and so they were both involved, you know, with mm-hmm. the church music. And that was actually some of my very first performance experiences were in my kind of small hometown church. Um, I remember them very vividly because I was absolutely terrified. Um, so so that's where it started. And I always like, like you, you mentioned that people just don't know. And it's like, well, I never knew anything else. You know, it's the same that, it's that kind of thing.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: so it never, it never it always seemed like it's something that would be there, you know. Yeah. And then when I uh, when I got interested in the organ, obviously that was a natural sort of progression. Um, and I remember very specifically, I was trying to figure out like whether to focus on piano or organ, and like whether to go off and study organ somewhere. But I also had a really good private organ teacher that I was mm-hmm. studying with, who was actually the organist at the church where I am now. Yeah. Um, and he was he was absolutely world class uh, player, and so <laughs> it kind of just worked out for me. I, I realize I'm very fortunate that I had a world class organ instructor and composition instructor like in my home area, so it just kind of kind of fell into place. But um, yeah, so it seemed like a natural thing, um, and I, I started to you know my piano one of my piano Professors said, you know, I know a lot of pianists and I know a lot of organists, and the pianists are all looking for the same few jobs, and the organists all have jobs.
1: Yeah, yep.
0: Because there just aren't as many, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of took that to heart, and I was like, well, I, you know, even though I'm majoring in piano and focusing on that, I'm I'm going to keep the organ side up as if I were also majoring in that. So I really had two, you know, applied instruments effectively. Mm So and it worked out that way. Um, my Lawrence, uh, my my teacher left. He moved to Texas to take another bigger job, and uh, I had filled in at that church several times and took lessons there. So it kind of was a natural thing. They knew me a little bit. I knew them, and uh, and it worked out. And that happened about the time I was I was looking to to move to LA, and then I got this this good steady job, yeah. and met my wife around that same time. So I didn't move to LA, and that's the best thing that <laughs> that could have happened for me is just to stay here in the middle of nowhere and yeah. just focus on, on kind of you know my own music.
1: So, are are um, you still at that same church?
0: I am. Wow. Yep. Yep. That's Coming up on nine years now. So yeah, it's Why? been and it's exactly like you said. It's a good, like no one's ever going to get rich becoming a church organist, sure, or director of music. Maybe at like a mega church or something, but that's another, <laughs> that's another animal. Um, but it is steady, um, and I don't have office hours per se. Like as long as I learn all the music and have everything prepared for the choir, then I get to work on my own projects, you know, when I want to, which has been really good. So it is a lot of work. It's a lot of preparation, um, but it's not – fixed time work, if mm-hmm. that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. So that's been really, really helpful uh, in allowing me to build all this other stuff on the side.
1: Why, why do you think people discount church work? Or, or is it just because they don't know or it, they they just – they figure everybody's volunteering their time or, or – <laughs> why do you I, think it's not – Maybe. Uh,
0: maybe. And that was certainly the case at like the, the smaller church that I grew up in. It was all volunteer, you mm-hmm. know, for the most part. Um, but you know, when you get into a little bit bigger of a church and our church, like my church is very traditional, obviously it's all like, there is no instrument in there other than the organ oh, really? and I lead no every piano from the, from the organ, no piano. Um, what denomination? there is a, pian- there is, it's Presbyterian. Okay. There is a piano in there, but we don't use it during the service. It's all like I lead the choir from the organ. Everything is organ. And no contemporary
1: worship. Like,
0: no, no. I'm playing God and like books to Huda and um, <laughs> you know Franck and stuff like that every every Sunday. So I'm kind of like sounds lovely. Th- that's why it's a lot of work because that music is hard. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> but uh, but it's also really musically rich, uh, yeah. and I stay I stay connected with that kind of music in a way that I wouldn't otherwise if i didn't have to do that if that makes sense mm-hmm. and and I don't, it's not something that maybe i want to do forever
1: okay but it is something that
0: i that. it is something that i i know i can always go back to you know if i miss it um right. down the road so as other things are picking up steam i'm i'm to that point now where i'm wondering you know is it time to scale back uh in that area and and Go all in, as it were,
1: and it's scary because it's a yeah. it's a thing that you have that may be difficult to find again in the same way yeah. that you have it now. Um, yep. When you have a churches are a weird, man, and so when you have a church that yep. you don't you can put up with all the strangeness, and uh, it's you know it's not the church so much; it's just the people. It's but the people. Um, <laughs> God protect me from your people. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it, it, finding another gig that is a, is a nice, comfy gig that you've been doing for years is scary to walk away from that. I've been producing clients since literally the mid-90s. It's scary to walk and just say, you know what? I want to compose full-time. And I'll teach some and maybe – and my channel is starting like yours, not quite where yours is, but it's starting to be a place where I can teach and Mm -hmm. and maybe make music uh, education income that way rather than teaching at a school with actual people I have to look at and talk to (laughs) rather than just talking through a screen. But. At the same time, uh, it's I, I know how to help clients. I know how to help artists, and uh, even this week, I'm thinking of new ways to re- mm-hmm. rebuild and, and rebrand my uh, label that I've, I've run for decades. And it's steady and I, you know, it's hard to walk away from those music incomes that are steady and you control pretty much. I mean, yeah. it's not that you control the church, but you control what you do, you know, the gig. yeah. And so yeah. it's, it's scary to walk away from that. So,
0: well, and you can probably, you can probably relate to when you do something like that at that level for that long, it becomes part of your identity in such yeah. a way. I actually, I actually had this conversation with, uh, I don't know if you know Emily Hopkins. She has a massive uh, Harp channel um, mm-hmm. where she runs Harp through all kinds of weird effects yeah, and cool. stuff. Really funny um, videos and, and skits that she and Russ do. But anyway, um, you know she's her channel's got like 300,000 subscribers now at this point, and she's to the point where she's not doing wedding gigs and stuff like that yeah. that she was doing cool. anymore. And we had this conversation about yeah, it's really weird. Like when you start thinking about giving those things up, it's like mm-hmm. a part of you is dying almost. If that may be a little dramatic, but it really does feel like, what would I be without this? You know.
1: Well, there's a second so, part for you and I because most of my clients are in the Christian or gospel space, mm-hmm. and your job is also at the church. And there's this feeling, and people who don't are involved in this don't know, is that you are walking away from God or you are letting <laughs> yeah. God down who gave you this talent and you're thinking, oh, I should still do these yeah. things because they help, they glorify him or whatever you want to say. They are God things. And and if I walk away, what, what does that say about me that I'm just leaving this so I can be a YouTube star yeah. <laughs> or whatever?
0: Ungrateful, ungrateful <laughs> yeah. little, yeah. Yeah.
1: Right yep. and and I'm, am I cool. using my talents correctly and effectively and and in yep. uh, the right purpose? And a lot of people don't wouldn't understand that because if you're not from that thing, but it's I guess it's not much different than being a teacher and saying I'm teaching people, and then you walk away from being a teacher to just you know retire or do something else, and suddenly you feel oh I'm letting all the students down or I'm letting yeah. you know all the possible good I could do. So there's that whole side of things, but. There is something else happening, and let's move on into the YouTube phenomena that is uh, Jameson Nathan Jones' <laughs> channel. Uh, when did the channel become a thing? I mean, how did it start? Did, was it just a, a fun little side thing? Well, or? the
0: channel actually started when I started my artist career so about eight years ago or seven eight years ago something like that I don't know you can go back and look at the exact date probably but um I was like well I'll just put all the the music that I'm making there Mm -hmm. and then eventually as I got into synthesizers it's like well I'll just put all of the like hardware synthesizer jams quote unquote as (laughs) they're called um there right and you know that got no views so (laughs) um So for years, you know, years and years and years, um, it was just a place to park. Like if I would make a music video or something like that, was just where I would just throw it up there. And then, um, I guess it was late, like really late 2021. I started to get kind of down about where I, I was as an artist, like my reality was not meeting my expectations, which that is partly an expectation problem on my part, which is a whole other subject. But I thought I would be further than I was at that point. I had had just enough success in streaming early on that I, it, it set that as like, okay, this is the baseline. It's just going to go up from here. And it didn't go up from there. It it went as everything does. It was not linear, right?
1: Yeah.
0: It went down for a while and I would get really upset you know, at that even though I had no control over it. And then it would come back up and then it would go back down again. And I was like, well, this, I, I don't, I, at some point I realized it's like, well, I'm i am just banking on getting lucky at this point. It feels like, so it's like, what can I do that feels more proactive and feels more like I have some control over what I'm getting out of it? And like everybody says that YouTube is great for that, right? <laughs> I wish I had a more philosophical answer for you for (laughs) why I started getting more serious, but it's like, you know, well, everybody says that a YouTube channel is the way to go. So I did that. And the only thing I knew because the only thing I was really watching at that point was like synthesizer stuff because I was really into the gear side of things. So I was like, Hey, I know some stuff about synthesizers now. I'll just do that. I'll do synth demos and just show how I use the stuff I'm using already, Mm -hmm. right? And that's how it started. And between 2021, like the very end of 2021, uh, for the next year or so, I went from the couple thousand subscribers I had (laughs) managed to amass over many years of just putting music there. I got up to just under 10,000 subscribers. I was like, okay, well, this is moving in a direction and I'm seeing output based on the inputs that I've sure. been putting it, yeah. So that's James.
1: that's true. where I am right that's now, true. exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's a good feeling. Um, and so around that time, the channel was getting big enough that you know the people who make gear start coming around and being like, mm-hmm. "Oh, this guy's getting some views, and he's reviewing gear."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we should get him to review our gear, and that is really exciting for about five minutes. <laughs> and then you realize, well, now I'm just making. I'm just the marketing team for this company, you know, Um, and they're they're willing to give me some stuff, but I can't actually eat guitar pedals or synthesizers, and I'm really making no money off of that at
1: all. And and nobody realizes how much time it takes to make all of these videos. I mean, this kind of video we're doing right now will only take really as long. Well the recording part will only take as long as we talk but the yeah. editing part th- no one knows how much i'm going to have to edit this you know to get yep. it to a respectable length uh, of time but anyway it just takes yeah. so much work involved in it
0: well and that's one reason that i put off for years and years actually trying on youtube because i knew i knew just enough about editing not much but just enough to know that i didn't know much and it was hard
1: <laughs> and well I've been cons- editing since I, I was a professional video editor in ninety seven. So and, and have been working oh, wow. really editing video for clients ever since. And so I know <laughs> it's just a. Yeah, uh, it was
0: harder then, probably too, right?
1: Well, I, I was on an AVID system at that time. It was a big, expensive AVID system. So, no, it wasn't that much harder. I mean, we only had two tracks. We literally had two video tracks and, and two audio tracks. But, uh, but still, it was nonlinear. So I was able to do what I need to do. But yeah. it's just time consuming.
0: Yeah, for sure. But anyway, yeah, I didn't feel like I was getting out of working with companies, what I was putting in, exactly what you were talking about in terms of the time okay. of, that it was taking me. So at some point, um, early 2020, let's see, what year is it now? It's 2024. Like in the spring of 2022, yeah. No, last year, last year, Yeah. 2023, last spring was when things kind of really took off. Mm-hmm. Um, comparatively speaking, it's not like I've had videos go super viral or anything, but, um, last spring I made just this tiny shift. I wanted to explore studying or talking about some of the stuff that i had studied, you know, Mm -hmm. like composition and, and how I incorporate that, you know, all the stuff that I was just doing intuitively and taking for granted that I, but it's like, well, nobody wants to hear that because... You know, I I know how I do that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So when I started shifting towards that, I put out one video. The very, I got kind of lucky, the very first video that I put out, um, I think it was called How Music Technology Almost Ruined My Music, because, you know, and the premise being that I got so into the sound that I almost forgot all of those other things that I knew of like how to make melodies interesting. Yeah, Right. And maybe a, a deeper, more rich harmonic language.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that video took off. It it shocked me how it took off. For me, that was a viral video.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, we went from getting maybe a few thousand to a um, hundred thousand on that video, wow. and I was like, "Okay, this is interesting. It seems like I've struck a nerve that relates to other people here." Yeah and from that point on i've really shifted from focusing on the gear so much which i really think is one of the least interesting things to talk about anyway <laughs> to like how i use the gear and how i actually what are my philosophies about making music yeah and how do i use all that stuff to make music because and and that's the most important thing still that's why i said early on that that it's important to me that i stay focused on making the music i want to make And that everything revolves around that because I think that's the only way it can sustain because like, even if I have a a dip, you know, where the the videos don't do as well, I'm still just making the stuff I would make anyway and just figuring out ways to tell stories about it that can relate and teach people like one or two simple things that might help them. And that shift, like I can't explain what it's done for the channel. Um, and what it's done for me personally. Um,
1: and future, been, what you're what it's done for? Luckily, your future as as yeah. how you make music, how you make music income, and all those things probably because it is for me. It's happening. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's 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 been really great to see, and it's so much more fulfilling when you make a video like that about stuff that you really are interested in telling people, and it and it gets a good response. You know, like that. It, it shows you that there's a, a hunger for that sort of thing. So. Um, I want to So yeah I wanna
1: talk about I want to talk about your composition in another uh conversation but yeah how did it how did it change the channel has it changed your composition has it changed your uh or 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 maybe um uh, augmented it in some way your composition
0: Yeah I think so um now that you mentioned now that you put it that way um because i'm actually it's it's like a snowball yeah uh, or like a cyclical thing where like i talk about this stuff and this is something that you know there's a group of people that they're that always will comment they'll just shut up and just make music and what they don't realize is that by thinking about these things and talking about them you know as a teacher if you are going to talk about something, you have to actually know what you're talking about. So I have to think these things through. And my videos have become like essays at this point mm-hmm. where I'm like, I'm writing the essay and I'm actually having to go back and refine and be like, well, really? No, that's not how I approach this or that. And then I, I've also reminded myself of a lot of things um, that I knew years ago, you know, and, and was uh, implementing in my compositional work that I sort of forgot about. And, and so it's kind of in talking about it, it has helped me actually do the stuff that I talk about.
1: Yeah. And, and I think vice that versa. has to The happen. more
0: I do it, the more I have to talk about. So it, yeah, it kind of works both ways.
1: And I think they have, they feed each other. You have mm-hmm. to, you have to be, able, I think you have to still do to teach you know, we have the whole, yes. uh, those who can't teach those who can't, comma, teach. But I think the really effective teachers are the ones who are doing as they are teaching. You know what I mean? They're they're exactly. doing at the same time they're teaching, and then they're teaching yep. off current, what's happening currently. That's the only way you're going to help people currently work mm-hmm. is teach them about what things are happening currently. So I couldn't <clears throat> just... Um, if I wanted to t- talk about producing artists, which I don't don't necessarily, but do... I, I couldn't quit working with artists and then and and then tell everybody how to yes. work with artists. And right. I can't quit composing. I couldn't quit composing anyway. But composing is that thing that has been with me since 13. It's never going away. It won't go away. It just happens just, you know, chemically in my dreams and my spare time. It just mm-hmm. is with me. So I'm going to talk about that. And through that, it mm-hmm. brings some money in and I'm going to talk about that. And so we have a channel. So um your how do you stay motivated to continue to teach? I mean, uh, with me, one thing feeds the other because I make a, Mm -hmm. I I go put this classical album on CD baby, trying to get it in these certain stores. And then I'm thinking, this is going to make a great video. (laughs) <laughs> if I talk about yep. all the yep. things so I'm screen grabbing as I'm doing, because I'm thinking, oh, people need to know that you got to put a period right here if you're putting the the names of these classical tunes. You got to name it a certain way. It's it's a yeah. whole thing. Somebody needs to be telling people this because if people are going to do this, so how how does it help you be motivated? Do things feed each other?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, yeah, I I and it's. Yeah, that's that's very well put. Like, it is a cyclical thing um, where I am thinking now about the videos when I make music and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not – but it's not in a way – like, I think when you say that to certain people, they're like, well, you sold out, right? Like, mm-hmm. in some way, you can't do two things.
1: <laughs>
0: and it, it's no longer art if you're doing two things.
1: Oh, I'll fight people um, to the ground about that because oh, there's there's no way that I can go teach and stand in front of 18 to 35 year olds at the school I teach and tell them about there's nothing more powerful than telling them about an artist interaction from the day before or that it, or be talking and a PayPal payment comes in from a um, a, a course sale or something mm-hmm. where I'm trying to teach them how to live a music life and make, because they want to make income when they leave yep. this school and they want to get gigs producing or they want to do live gigs. And I'm like, I just did this thing last night and here's what it made me to yep. me. Yep. Uh, you have to do both because they both feed each other and there's no stronger teaching than that. I don't think.
0: Well, and if you can figure out a way of uh, which I think you're good at, 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 just doing the things you would do anyway and and teaching about that, then it almost takes the pressure off of your work, in my opinion. Like if you have multiple ways to make an income off of that work, like for instance, uh, I think we mentioned early on um, that my music doesn't always fit perfectly into a playlist, right? <laughs> So, so so what do, and I think a lot of artists fall into this category. It's like, well, I don't want to make, you know, what is going to be easily playlistable. So how do I get people to listen to it? And how do I make a living from it? Well, you have to find some other avenue, some other way to make money and to get attention that is not the music itself, Mm -hmm. but it is the music itself. It's just indirect right? Mm-hmm. You're not getting it from Spotify, which it takes an incredible, like people don't realize people are so focused on trying to get their streaming numbers up mm-hmm. that they don't realize just how many streams it takes to actually live off of streaming.
1: Yeah.
0: It's an insane number. Um, but if you can have this other thing, like say you're, if, if you can figure out a way to teach people and enough people are interested in what you're doing, then that takes the pressure off of your art and you don't yeah. have to sell the art. You can sell y- your knowledge,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know? And so that's been a, to me, that makes, that frees up the art to be yeah. more art. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, because it's not the direct product itself. It's yeah. your knowledge about it, it's your teaching. Um, and I'm starting to talk about that in some videos too. And I know I'm going to get killed by a certain number of people, but I don't really care about those people anyway. Um, So, and I have such respect for what you're doing because you're very transparent about that. And I think it's great because you do have to address the need we all have to eat three times a day and Mm -hmm. have a place to sleep where, you know, we don't get rained (laughs) on.
1: Make Music Income is just, I I started this channel because nobody else had thought of it. Nobody, I was like sitting around, there should be a channel. I'd like to check out YouTube and find a channel that just talks about all the different ways people make income with their music. And Mm -hmm. certainly there's got to be a channel that's doing this. And I started looking and there was no one. And I said, I'm sure there's a channel called Make Music Income. And there wasn't, and and it wasn't taken on Instagram or anything. I'm like, now I have to start it. You know, I, it's not even, yep. I, I don't even want to. I just have to because some, no one's thought of this before. I'm just, I'm always, you probably like this too. There's always a million, ooh, I could do this. Ooh, I could do that, you know, and uh, and then one hits and you're like, oh boy. And now here I am, <laughs> I'm not <I'm> doing it. <laughs> um, okay, let's, uh, let's switch over and just real quickly talk about music licensing because the hypothesis is that music licensing is free money all you have to do is put your music out there find people who need music for TV or film or whatever and or you know find a site that'll take your music and sell it for you you don't even have to do anything and uh, you know I, I've been when I discovered music licensing I was in the midst of, my production career, and I thought this sounds much more fun—making the music I want to make and putting it into things I want to make. So yeah. I, I shifted gears. What part of your time is spent on music licensing, and what's your history with it? That's two different questions. But
0: well, the the part of my time that is spent on it now is different than it has been, in that I'm not really doing any. Um like what I would, and Dave and I talked about this as well, you know, the, the artisan work. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that anymore because, and I did I did do it for about a year. And this was the year before I started the YouTube channel. I was like, okay, well, I'll do this.
1: When you say the you know, artisan, put, you mean the person who does stuff for you're money sent brief, specifically. You send
0: a brief, you write to that brief. They say, we need it to sound like this. You make it sound like that, right? So uh, you're you're writing tailor-made music for this thing, and it has to be very specific. And it is not about what you want to do as an artist; uh, it's about what the the director wants.
1: I don't know if I can say this online, but briefs chafe me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, it's been a, it's been a
0: long time since I've worn
1: any. <laughs> I do not like, I do not like briefs. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> this is a... That's this actually is a, why I got, that's why I got out of sync licensing because they told me I would have to do briefs. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to do that. It feels too restrictive for me as an artist.
1: <laughs> that's a, it's a great term because it does, briefs do restrict me. And and I think that uh, I, I have really learned to dislike briefs. Like for instance, I got a, brief in, and I did a thing to it that I really liked, and I sent it to my library, and they said, it's fine. Now, can you make it more hip-hoppy? Which, Mm. by the way, that should show you I can't, because I just said the word hip-hoppy. But, uh, yeah. uh, So, anyway, back to where you are with music licensing.
0: Yeah. So, I, I did all that, and you know I had a little bit of an artist career at that point, so they kind of knew the style that I enjoyed writing in. So they didn't they. send me just, um, it was, let's see if I, I don't want to name the name of the company. Sure. Because no, 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 I don't work. I don't work with them anymore. Yeah. Um, so, but it was uh, a music library of some kind. Yeah. It was a music licensing house. They would send, they were the third party. Basically they would send me the brief and connect me to the, to the, gotcha. the ad agency or whoever, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't really understand how that worked. I didn't understand that they were sending it to like ten different composers, and we were all competing for the same yes, little scraps, you know, or,
1: or hundred different, comp- and yeah. they are sending yeah. the same brief that some, like probably dozens mm-hmm. of other libraries are sending to all of their writers to yep. compete with, and oh, that's, yeah. and, that's and, like,
0: and there is there's that's a possibility sending your demo of, tape
1: off to L.A. all over again, you know, yes, <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and I mean, you feel like you have a good chance because it's like, oh, they've connected me to the, but actually it's, there's a very real possibility, <laughs> a very good chance that your work won't be chosen. Right. And in this case, I wasn't compensated for just doing the brief, you know? All right, all right. So there was a very real zero-sum possibility, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> um, so I, within a year, and also people don't realize like how much work that is in, in a short amount of time. Like they may email you at nine o'clock at night and be like, we need this by morning. And I didn't want to live my life that way. So I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, and th- at that point I started focusing on YouTube more, but anyway, uh, so that was my experience with like, you know, having an intermediary, um, who was working with all of these ad agencies and trailer houses and all that kind of stuff. I didn't like it. Um, and it's fine for people who love it. I know people who make a good living off of it, but it yeah. just wasn't for me. Yeah. Um so the other the other approach is just whatever I'm making anyway, the stuff that I want to make, finding places to park that um where people come to look for music for their videos or, or whatever, you know. And I've used, you know, several non exclusive libraries like Artlist and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um and it's, you know, I make I may get, you know, several thousand a year, depending on the year and what I've put into the to the library uh, that year. Um, so it's not unsubstantial, but it's not, you know, what I'm paying all my bills with either. It's kind—I right. kind of look at it as a bonus, you know.
1: Yeah, and I—I'm in the almost the exact very very same boat. Um, the last thing I need is another job where clients are telling me what to do all day long Yep, as music clients. And uh, I produced for 20 years and it got to the point in the last 10, the last 10 of those years that the clients were directing the productions instead of me. And then the client, then the production uh, quality went down because they didn't know necessarily what they were doing. And, and this is not, this is the same reason I didn't get into this licensing or advertising work when I first started because I was mm-hmm. dealing with, you think it's bad with like music supervisors, try dealing with like car dealership owners who are telling yeah. you, oh, I think that chord is wrong in the second part. I'm like, what <laughs> what background do you have in this, Mr. Car Salesman? Uh, and and so I feel like I'm, I'm back in that thing. Not that music supervisors aren't uh, good at their job, even though they're all 25 years old, so I don't know what that means, but... I'm in the same boat as you. I'm in that place where yeah. it's hard for me to write to briefs because it feels too much like work. And uh, I know uh, Dave uh, he, he, that pe- some people just get that down and plus um, I, I don't think it has to do with age. I just has to, it has to do with how much you want to bastardize your work for the use and possible income. And when I say possible, I mean possible. It, it's a possibility, yeah, yeah. and 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 yep. not a, not like a job where you're doing a job and when you finish it you get paid. A lot of times you do it and you never get paid. And yeah. uh, I just don't have time. I need. I have too much that I want to make that has to mm-hmm. be made. You know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, well, and that's that was the thing that I was finding. It's like I have no time to work on my own music. I wasn't yeah. releasing as much music, and. And that's what makes it different with YouTube. It's like, if because it's all, yes, it, it is a lot of work to run a YouTube channel and put out a video every week or every two weeks, but it's all centered around my music, like the stuff that I want to make anyway. So, you know, it's like you said, it kind of gives me a reason to do both things and to keep that wheel turning mm-hmm. that is much more closely related to what I want to be doing anyway. So that has, has been far better for me uh, from my a mental health standpoint than yeah. than churning out briefs at a alarming rate and seeing an alarming lack of money come in from that so
1: it's aggravating and 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 I think I have kind of come full circle with music licensing a little bit I, I feel like I have I've got I've got back it helped me get back into being a composer m- uh, more mm-hmm. because it I was you know in that thing and in order it's to a make great money on it's
0: it. a great way to learn your chops really well too. Like mm-hmm. if you're if you're wanting to get better at production and stuff, like you have to do it and you have to do it fast. Yep. So it is good for that. It's really yep. good for that.
1: Cool. All right. Um, how much time do you have? Do you have a uh, I can go or... for
0: another ten minutes or so.
1: Okay. Well, let's jump into. Uh, I guess for this interview, I mean, we may have to do another interview because I have way more I want to talk to you about. But um, let's just get into the synthesizers because I think that's important and people like that part about you. And let's talk about that real quick. So when did you start to implement synthesizers into your work? Was it an offshoot of the organ? Do you think the organ and synthesizer kind of came about? How did synthesizers come into your life?
0: Okay, we're, we're going to go way back to that diaper story that I told very oh early.
1: That is early. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, so I mentioned Yes in, a, in an offhanded way. My dad loved those progressive rock bands. Yes was his favorite and became my favorite, therefore, by default. Right. Um, so I loved Rick Wakeman. I loved Keith Emerson. Uh, I loved Rush. I I was listening to all these bands that were using synthesizers, you know, back then. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And these guys, they're keyboard players. They're not just pianists, you know. Um, They play all of these different instruments. And that was exactly what sparked my interest in the organ. It was like, I don't want to just be a pianist. You know, I want to be, I want to wear a cape. And play rock music from the seventies, even though I, you know, it was not many people long past say the that 70s. these
1: days. I want to wear a cape. I know.
0: Well, you know, I do Except wear a robe uh, every Sunday when I play the organ. <laughs> so it kind of, it kind of worked out. I'm just saying, <laughs> it kind of all worked the way that I planned.
1: Um, you should have a cape but, for the robe. That would be awesome.
0: Oh, I know. Yeah, like a double. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm into it. But anyway, yeah. So that was like. Uh, My early impression of a rock star, you know, like, oh my gosh, these guys are awesome. Mm They had this virtuosity, and they play all these different keyboard instruments. Um, So then I went through and got all of these, um, you know, music degrees, and kind of put that on the the back shelf and looked down on it for a while because I was, I became very snobby. As you have to to get through
1: classical music, way more important than
0: popular music. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so I kept all that a secret that I actually still liked that stuff. I tried to keep that under wraps. Um, (laughs) and, uh, and, and then when I graduated and started to, you know, think about film scoring, um, that's when I really got back into it because I was like, well, what, you know, how was Hans Zimmer getting all these sounds and, you know, all the, all the stereotypical film composers that were doing things that were like hybrid orchestral and electronic and uh, at some point along the line, um, I discovered uh, the modern classical scene where they were using the the more traditional um, instrumentation, along with all of these old analog synthesizers in, in a very different way than Yes was using them. Are you talking I mean, about
1: uh, Wendy Carlos or anything like that?
0: Or? Um, uh, not specifically. Or, I mean, I was aware of like the switched on Bach and everything. Yeah. Um, it really never interested me just to hear synthesizers playing classical music. You know, gotcha. I, I yeah. was more interested in like um, the stuff that they, that the synthesizers could do that other instruments couldn't, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, so, um, yeah, I got into that. Um, when I say modern classical, that's that's a genre term. It's like Oliver Arnolds and Nils Frahm and all of mm-hmm. these guys who are doing mm-hmm. like minimalist, you know, electronic and acoustic stuff. So I found that blend of textures really interesting. And I was like, hmm, maybe I could kind of get into doing something like that. Um, And at that point, I started learning more about synthesizers, watching synth YouTube, which gave me the idea to do (laughs) those kind of videos later on. And, uh, you know, kind of got sucked down the rabbit hole of electronics and gear and synthesis and all that stuff. So that's when the obsession really sort of took hold was... In that period after I had finished my degrees, um, before I really knew what I wanted to be doing, you know, I was just kind of exploring, um, like, Mm -hmm. what was possible? How do people make these sounds? It was all curiosity at that point. I had no idea what I was doing, but um, just kind of learned as I went along.
1: Gotcha. Um, What is... um And so it just made sense for you to start to integrate them into the channel. Was that a, was that because you were reviewing them and stuff like that or, or is it just that you had an interest in how to approach them and with composing?
0: Yeah, well, both, um, you know, that's mostly what I was watching at the time because I had kind of learned how to use them through a combination of experimentation and YouTube, (laughs) you know, um, And I was, excuse me, I was also experimenting with them in my own music. Like how, Mm -hmm. how can I use these things that do very specific things well and other things not so well in maybe unexpected ways. And, uh, and so that's kind of what launched me wanting to show some of the techniques that I was using, um, and just show what I had learned about sound design, you know, up until that point, because that was at that time that was the most interesting thing that i could think of to talk about because that was what was fresh on Mm -hmm. my mind like this Mm -hmm. was the new thing you know what Mm i mean
1: cool well, awesome, man. Well, th- this is, uh, I have so much more to ask you. So there's going to have to be a second interview because I want to talk we about can do keyboards. It. I want to talk about synths. I want to talk about your composing method. I mean, uh, but that's thats for another channel and another time. So yeah. uh, I, I just find what you are doing fascinating. You are a um, uh, hero is probably a little far, but you are a inspiration to a lot of us who are just, you know, be who you are do your thing and then show people how you are doing your thing and teach from that Mm. and uh that's what i'm trying to do and I just really appreciate that about your channel. One of the things that it's like, there's these other guys I watch who do, who talk about how to put your music on Spotify and run ads and stuff like Andrew Southworth and people like that. Mm-hmm. And it's because they make their own music and put it out. And and right. I, they're doing what they're teaching about and say, here are my stats after I spent this much. I love that. And I love people mm-hmm. who are doing the thing and then teaching the thing. So I appreciate what you're doing with that. And uh, just a fan and think you're hilarious and, and uh, look forward to talking to you again sometime.
0: Oh, thanks so much, Eric. I really appreciate it. I had a great time. Anytime you want to do it again, just let me know.
1: Cool. Next week, um, about this time. <laughs> anyway, no, we'll, we'll wait right, a little bit. Make it a weekly thing. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to the Make Music Income podcast. Make sure to check out our website for more free and helpful information, including our eBooks, courses, and one-on-one coaching for your music career. You can find that at Make Also links to the music you've heard in this episode are in the description as well below. And I hope you got some valuable information and tips in this episode to help you make the music you love and make music income. Thanks so much again for listening and have a great week.